Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Today I'm really delighted to uh, introduce you to a good friend of mine. His name is Joel Hulk. Now he, this man, is a source of inspiration uh, not only for me but uh, many of my friends. Uh, it's an incredible story of pain, overcoming pain and uh, suffering with pure resilience and winning at life. I mean, he, uh, just a little bit about his background. Joel Hoke was born in Argentina at age three, moved to Israel with his family after a childhood in Israel. He spent his early 20s traveling the globe, mostly in Europe and South America. He ended up in New York and decided to live in the United States. As a child, he grew up with dyslexia and that heavily shaped his point of view towards life. Uh, he got married in his early 20s and uh, is a father of two children. Shortly thereafter, uh, his marriage ended and he raised his children as a single dad. By his late 30s, he was diagnosed with MS. For a couple of years, he was treated with conventional uh, medicine. And when he heard the news of his diagnosis, he sold his business and went into the real estate business. And then a second marriage happened. During this period, And when that relationship ended, he started his awakening with a commitment to its health and spirituality. After having only a little success with conventional medicine, he decided to start his journey of healing himself organically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. Today, he lives pain-free and has been blessed with an opportunity to work with multiple people in supporting them in healing themselves. Joel is currently working on a book of his life's journey uh, while simultaneously enjoying his real estate profession and also the life uh, as a life coach. So please welcome the one and only Joel Hoke. So good afternoon, uh, Joel. Welcome to the Wisdom of Friends podcast. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Uh, you know, one thing that I always enjoy about our conversations is that I listen to uh, your wisdom that gets, uh, you know, distilled in our conversations. And it's such a fascinating uh, lifestyle and background that you have that uh, I've always enjoyed our conversations. So I knew that, you know, it would be uh, such a great idea to have you on this uh, call so that uh, we get to... Uh, Learn about uh, more about you, your uh, experiences, and uh, all the wonderful wisdom that uh, you have to share for uh, for our audiences here. So, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. So, uh, Joe, one of the first things uh, that uh, I'd like to ask our guest is, uh, what's uh, what's your favorite code of philosophy that you live by, and how have you applied it to your life? So, 
I would I would say that the important thing that since my awakening experience and it, it just be true to my feelings and be present and be aware of my of what I feel and as a source of my energy. This is probably the the most important thing that that's that's running my life and and. People often confusing feeling, true feeling, with feeling like, you know. I don't feel like to go to the gym. I don't feel like to eat healthy. I don't. This is not true feeling. This is, this is reaction. But it's the true feeling of what's sourcing my life. This is what I am living by and being present to what's sourcing what I'm doing. Okay, that's great. And you have a very interesting background. Uh, from what I understand, that you were born in Argentina, but at the age of three, you moved to Israel with your family, and then uh, you know you've uh, ended up in New York, and then decided to live in the United States. So I'm really curious to uh, really understand uh, your journey up until this point, and how did you end up where you are today, and. Uh, you know, if you could give us a little bit of a background about your journey up until this point, that would be great. Sure. Uh, now, this is almost six years of background. It will take us a while to go through all of it, but I will try to be uh, <laughs> to the point. Um, so I, 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 I born in Argentina um, in 67 at age of three. My parents moved from Argentina to, to Israel. So as a child, I don't have any, any memories of Argentina. And all, all my memories as a child are from, from Israel. And we, at the time, we, this is in 1970, Israel was a very young country. Everything was, everything was new. And new or not exist. Uh, at age, so, so when we moved to Israel, we moved. We, we live in a town called Rehovot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that my my mom was a kindergarten teacher. My dad was a bookkeeper. Uh, at age, at age ten, or well, maybe a little earlier than that, uh, we moved to to a kibbutz. Um, kibbutz is a completely different lifestyle that that we know of. I mean, there is. Um, living in the city in Rehobot or living in any other city in the world it's just a city city living uh, living in a kibbutz it's a, it's a combination of um, community farm socialist way of living um, I, from from living with my parents in the apartment that we had in Rehobot, we, we I moved to, to the kibbutz and overnight and I we, I did not sleep in the same house with my parents anymore. I was 24 hours a day surrounded by kids in my own age group. We, we, we went to school together. We, we worked together. We ate together. We, we sleep in the same house. We, we did not sleep in the house where, um, where, where our parents were. I mean, the parents were in the same, they were in the same community, but it was a very small community. So it was all walking distance. Mm. Um, but this, this was a place that was very nature, very 
agriculture and by the by the Mediterranean Sea. It, it was for me. It was an amazing upbringing of of lifestyle. And in, in in the kibbutz, I, I got I started working with horses and. I I became pretty good at that, and and after at age age nineteen, I I, I joined the, the Israeli service. Everybody in Israel had to go to the service, and I served three years in the army. Mm. After that, and I stayed in Israel for a short period of time, for a few months, and then I I went to Europe. I was working with horses in Europe, and it was amazing. Then I went to, to South America. I traveled in South America. And somehow I ended up in New York City. And before you know it, I got hooked on the American dream. And this is what one thing led to another. I I, I, uh, I became a business partner with the guy that I worked for. We were the cleaning business. And then we opened a branch in Pittsburgh. And, and then he went back to New York and I stay in Pittsburgh and this is where I put my roots in and this is where I met my, my first my first wife, my two kids, uh, born here in Pittsburgh and and grew up here. Oh wow. This, this, this is home for me. Yeah, that's that's such a interesting uh, arc of uh, journey you have uh, all the way from Argentina to Israel to Europe, South America, and then into New York with the American Dream. And what I'm curious about is, uh, I know that I've heard the story uh, about uh, your fascinating relationship with your mother and how much of an influence she was in uh, your life and your values and who you are as a person today. So if you uh, would uh, share a little bit about, you know, what did your parents do and how did that shape your life? So, um, because I grew up in the kibbutz, so the influence of the, my parents on my life as a child, from age, uh, from age ten um, until I actually became a parent, were very li- limited. I mean, they were not as significant as, as other um, as other children because my parents did not cook for me, did not wash my clothes, did not make sure that I go to school, did not. All this stuff was done in the in the community that that we lived in. And my, my parents moved out of this community when I was about eighteen years old, and, and I stayed in the community uh, longer in the kibbutz. And, but I think that when I became a parent, and I became very close to my mother, and. My, my first marriage were, were very difficult, and, and I find myself in being a single father for my two children in a very early age. My, my son was three months old, and in the first time that I got separated from from their mother, and it, it was tough. It was really, really challenging, and, and this is where I really became very close with my mom, and. and and we became so connected that it's it's last until the last day of her life here on this earth. 
and this really became very, very, uh, very important. Her, her love and her conditional love, and, and I and I would probably um, when somebody asked me in the in the shiva, the shiva is the week after the the week of morning morning after um, in the Jewish culture, and um, what what is the what is the one more important? What what is the significant thing that my mom left behind? And, and it, it was her heart. My mom had a pure pure heart, and she was always operating from her heart. And and after she passed, this is this is what I'm living by. And just be true to my heart. My father, unfortunately, we did not have such a good relationship. And my parents got divorced in my, I think I was 20, 21 or so. Um, and unfortunately, uh, we did not have a, a great relationship that I can say this was significant. Uh, even so that in my awakening journey, my father had a significant uh, turning point in my life that I'm sure that we will get to it uh, later. Yeah, uh, so when you look back at your life, Joel, up until now, what would you say were some of the turning points in your life and why? So, my, um, I'm sorry, it took me a second to pause there. Um, I, I grew up with dyslexia, and the dyslexia shaped my life completely. And if I'm looking back at few few moments of my life, I, I would say when I, when it was clear for me, and, and this was when I when I removed from the from Rehobot, from the city to to the to the kibbutz. Um, the, 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 the day that I started the school with the new school, and, and I went from being in a big school, we were probably thousands of kids in, in the school. I went to to a school in the kibbutz that all the school was maybe fifty kids. Um, in my class itself, we were ten kids. I could not hide no more, and I could not hide anymore. My ability of not able to read, not able to write. And when I moved, when I was 10 years old and we moved to the kibbutz and and, and the first day of going to school, the teacher asked me to, to step out and of the class and she, they told me what's going to happen. And then they said, look, we will go to explain to the rest of the kids about your, your, your dyslexia. And and sitting outside, I, I remember. I, I remember it vividly. Right now, I remember the, the shame and, and, and the, the feeling of stupid, and, and that that just went all over me. And, and feeling naked, I could not um, have the secret anymore. I felt I felt naked, and and from this day and on, I. Pretend that this conversation never happened. I pretend that my friends, that became the best friend of my life. I'm still today. I'm living almost 25, 30 years out of Israel. They are still my 
best friend and mm. uh, this group of kids and I pretend that this conversation never happened and, and I just bury it and but the feeling of being stupid impacts my life through, throughout all my life and so this is this is a this is a pivot moment in my in my in my life, and, and I think I think the second one happened uh, four and a half years ago on March of 2013, uh, when my mom passed away, and and a week after that, uh, my my wife left left the house, and and I think that these two moments were, in a sense, closing circles, and and. and and obviously, there were many, many, many significant moments in my life that had a lot of value. But these two moments are shaped up all my life. Wow. So, so that brings up another question. As uh, obviously uh, you could anticipate, is uh, so. How did you uh, deal with uh, the inadequacies that you felt? Uh, for having dyslexia and, and and the grief, I'm sure would uh, must have been really painful about your mother's uh, loss of your mother. Uh, and how did you overcome that uh, in terms of uh, being strong and resilient for your uh, children and uh, really uh, extracting because the wisdom that uh, you have today. Uh, comes from our struggles, uh, as we all know. And so, what did you? How did you overcome that? So you asked two significant questions <laughs> um, about my, my how I overcome my dyslexia and how I how I grew from from the loss of my mom. And so, as a child, I was very good at everything that they did except school. Mm. So I made sure that I have value in many many things. I just knew school will not be where I can value myself. I was very involved. I was very, um, at a very early age, I, the kibbutz that I lived in, I, I was a big part of creating a very successful horse stable that it was, became a, a big part of the kibbutz and big part of the social life in the kibbutz. So I was, and I was hard working and I was working in the, and feel I was working with the cows. I was I was a hard working person because I need to make sure that I had value because I could not value myself being in the in the in the school. And on the same token, in the early age, I was so scared. So I was scared from people. I was a bully. I was very, I was very tough. I was very protected. I was. I did not let people in and because I carry this secret and at least I thought it was a secret because today I'm talking to my friend and say, you, you know, you know about this? I say, yeah, we know about it. We, we knew from day one that it, it, it was only the secret in my head. I was never, um, uh, I, I was never open enough with myself and trust myself enough to know that it's really not a secret. Everybody knows, and everybody helped me, and they care for me. And, and but in my head, I was never able to verbally say I can't read. I, I remember the first day when I 
I was actually in Argentina I, when I was in South America and I talked to my international and I told him, I, I can't read. And this was the first day that I actually say that. And, and, and I was maybe 22 years old, but I survived all the school, all the, all the school life, pretending that I can read and pretending that everybody next to me don't know that I can't read. It, it was, a, it was a living in a secret and living in a lie and living in a, in a fear constantly because my biggest fear was um, that my teacher will come to me and say, hey, Joel, come to the, come to the board and read what is on the board or, or read this page to the class because teachers do that. They, they ask some students to do that. Yeah. It's never, it's never happened to me because everybody knows but I did not know that they know, and if I did know that they knew, I, I, I push it out because I pretend that it's not real. And I just live with this constant fear and all my school years, just not to be embarrassed in front of the class if the teacher will say, hey, Joe, stand up and read this page. And it was, it's, it's, yeah, speaking, growing from, from struggle, I definitely... And my life was shaped up by the, by the dyslexia, no, 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 no doubt. And it's not the actual dyslexia, it's the, it's the emotional and social aspect of that that, that impacted me. Mm. I, 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 I own my own business and I'm, I, I own my own businesses since, since I, almost since I came to, to the U.S. And and the true reason of why I own my own business was never the goal of making money, never the goal of being my own boss, never um, any, anything like that. And the only reason, the only reason that I create my own business is to never put myself in a position that my boss will hand me a report and say, "Hey, read this report and report to me tomorrow what what you think." or and go and do something with this support. Like I would never put myself in a position that another person will put me in a position to that I will feel embarrassed, powerless. And this is the only reason that I create my own business. So if I don't have a boss, nobody will tell me to do that. And if I can't read, I have a secretary that hey, read it. I pay her anyway. She what she got to I don't want to read it. <laughs> and <laughs> So, so the, the, the dyslexia had, the emotion part of the dyslexia had a big impact on my life. Some of it amazing, good, some of it was not as effective. Being a bully as a child, it was not because I'm a bully, just because I was so afraid with my own secrets. Hmm. Sounds like, uh, you know, I think uh, we all have some of the other fears that stops us from really achieving our fullest potential. And uh, from what I hear you share is that your way of uh, dealing with that was like resilience and choosing a way of life where you could uh, avoid dealing with dyslexia so that, uh, you know, you started your own business and became successful at it and uh, surrounded yourself with people who could compliment you in that direction. And that's really uh, that's really a fascinating uh, take on, uh, you know, some of the perceived 
limitations that we think we have. Uh, now, we're going back to your second question, and you were about to share um, your uh, journey with uh, the loss of your mom, and how did that? Uh, how did you grow from that? So, this is. Um, I mean, this is probably will be a last question for the interview if I will answer this question. And um, the, the the impact of losing my mom and my mom battled cancer for seven years. Um, but this, before we answer, be, uh, okay, let, let me answer this question and we'll go a little bit backward, back, backwards and, and forwards. Um, this is what the book that I'm writing, this is really where my, my awakening experience and my life becoming free began. And, and, and it, it was in, in my mom passing, passing on. And so, so she was battling cancer for, for seven years, and, and through these seven years, I, I, I made multiple, multiple trips to Israel, and this is where she lived, and this is where she passed. And this is where she was treated for her cancer. And it was painful to watch her dying. And, and I was blessed to be able to be next to her in, in her last breath when she took on in earth. And I actually was blessed with both of my parents. My, my father passed away as well a few years earlier from cancer. And sitting next to my mom and, and seeing her fighting to take her last breath. And, and when, when she passed, in the second that she passed, the, the first question that came to mind is, is what's the point? What's the point of all this life? What's, what's the point? I mean, this is how it all ends up and, and, and the pain and, and, and suffering and, and the suffering for her and the suffering for the people that love her. And, 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 and this question definitely stayed with me. And I know that when I will get back to the faith, I will start meditating and I will start doing yoga. Now, I had no clue where these two things came to my mind, but this is what came with second after my mom passed away. And, and I felt that this will be my access to what's the point. Mm. Um, and and it, was, it was devastating experience. I mean, it, it was painful. And, and, and my mom and she, she, she blessed all people with her presence and, and she was in her funeral and there were over 300 people in her funeral. Now, for some funerals, it's a lot, for some funerals, it's not a lot, but taking on that understanding that as, as Jewish people, as immigrants, as a Holocaust survival, and we are a very small family. And it, it was my mom, that she was the only one that lived in, in Israel from her family. 
her parents passed and her brother lived at the time living in Florida. And this was my three sisters and their families and myself. So all together, family, family, it's maybe 10, 20 people. And all the rest of the people is people that knew my mom, that knew us, but knew my mom as, as a special person that she was. And it was testimonial for her life of how she was able to attract so many people. I did run sideways from, from your questions. And no, that's all right. I mean, this is uh, this is a perfect segue uh, for, uh, for my next question, actually, uh, which is, Having experienced all these trials and tribulations and the, the kind of journey, uh, unique journey that you've had in your life, and uh, so that's obviously given you some really uh, fresh perspectives on life. I mean, going back to your earlier comment uh, about, you know, what's the point of all this? What's the point of life? And having reached that perspective, which I believe very few few of us get an opportunity to reach that state of mind, what would you say now is your definition of success, and how would you define greatness? So let me just go back to the question that you asked earlier, because I think that your listeners should just understand what was my frame of mind. At the time... When my mom passed away, I was in Israel. My, my two teenager kids were at home with my second wife at the time and, 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 and their stepmom. And when, and I know that things are not doing good at the home front. And, and when I came back home, back to Pittsburgh, and a few days later, my, my wife left the house and, and we were separated overnight since then. And that, that losing, losing my mom and losing my wife in the same week was probably the hardest, most painful experience that I experienced. And you mentioned earlier that we grow through pain. And this was plenty of pain to grow from. Mm. And b- battling this loss of these two amazing women in my life in such a short period of time was, in one end, so devastating. And, and on the other hand, it was the exactly same pain amount that I had to feel to be able to wake up. And I, I, I truly believe that if my wife would not, for compassion reasons, would not leave a week after she would leave, six months after my, my mom passed away, or six months earlier, I don't think that the impact will be the same in my life from my pain, but also from my growth and my awakening experience. And I wish I did not have to feel so much pain, and for some reason, in my life journey, I had to feel this amount of pain to to stop and to ask all these questions and, and to have the waking experience that I experienced since then. So 
if you want to repeat the second question that you asked, I, I, I will try to answer. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, definitely. So the question that I had for you uh, is, uh, you know, how would you define success now and how would you define greatness? Let's define success. What do you call success? So, yeah, so for me, when, when, when success, are we asking what? Success in which point of view? In point of happiness, money, joy, health? And I, I think that this, the word success is, it's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky question. I do not define success by money. Mm. Um, and even happiness is a very, uh, it's a very wide, uh, wide explanation. What, what is really happiness? Um, I, I would say that I, I define success today. on the ability to impact people's lives for the better, to support people, to free themselves to an awakening experience. And, and I think that this is, for me, a, a part of success. Now it's only, when I say part of success, because if I don't feel awake and if I don't feel free, I cannot force nobody to feel awake and, and, and free and, and being clear of the source of energy that's sourcing us to do what we do. And the, 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 the important part of awakening and the important part of, of success in that arena and it's the willingness to be vulnerable. It's the, 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 the willingness to be authentic with ourselves and to ask questions. that we don't necessarily know the answer and, and being okay with that. And be open to people, care for people, care for ourselves. And now, when I say money is not considered success, I, I am in the real estate business and real estate is um, it's driven by, by money. It's a money business. And money is important, but money does not necessarily consider success. Not, not, not for me. And for many people, money is success. And for me, it is able to touch a person and impact a person's life and support them in their life journey will fulfill me and feel as successful in my purpose in life, much more than closing a real estate deal that will be financially successful. It's important, but the feeling is not the same. Mm. That's such a beautiful answer, Joel. Uh, and how would you define greatness? Did you have anything to add on to that? Or would you uh, equate success and greatness as the same thing? Or yeah, I would say that. The, 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 greatness, uh, the success and greatness. It, 
ability to to impact people's lives. I mean, I mean, I, I, I've been blessed with many obstacles, and I, I, I grew up with dyslexia. I became in, in my late twenties a, a single father for two toddlers. I. I I battled MS, I healed myself from MS, I, I lost my mom, my, my wife left. A lot of things that can really hurt a person, and, and they did hurt me. And throughout all of that, I, I grew to be who I am today. And I can share myself with people that they don't have to go through all this pain to be able to live life freely. And this is the greatness for the people to be free if they're willing to do that. Mm. That is uh, really inspiring, Joel. Uh, so that brings me up to the next question, which is, what do you think, in your opinion, stops people from achieving their fullest potential? One word, fear. Yes, <laughs> I know you're going to say that. So uh, could you could you expound on that a little bit as to what kind of fear are we talking about? It's a fear of uh, uh, failure, fear of embarrassment, or what is the fear that you... And I remember, I don't know if you recall, uh, you had given me an example during one of our conversations about the eggshell. Uh, I don't know if you still remember that, but... If you care to uh, explain that and uh, tie that back into the fear, I think that would be uh, really great and helpful for our audiences. Sure. Sure. So, fear is a very, very sticky and important feeling. And it's coming in many, many shapes and many, many colors. And for somebody that lived in fear for so many years, this is how it's seen life as truth, is everything is fear-based. Now, nothing occurred to me as fear. Everything occurred to me as a survival or as the way that things had to be. So if there was no choice. I, I don't believe that we're choosing based on fear. We are reacting based on fear. We can choose from love to do something or not. When we, when the energy of myself to do things or not to do things, when I was living in fear, or when I'm in fear right now because I'm still battling, and I'm still human, and I still have fear in my life, and there is usually no choice. It's a reaction to do something. And... One of the, the, the important things that uh, is a part of my awakening experience and, and my life journey was to shift my relationship from, to life from destination, as, we, as you were talking about success. So, so what considers success? So success is if you have, you have this, you have that, you have a house, you have a car, you have a child, you have a wife, you have a dog, you have a cat, you have a husband, you have whatever. It's having, having, having. This is this is a destination of life, and if we are not accomplishing something, it's 
a society consider an unsuccessful life. And when I shift my life relationships to a journey and understand that everything that happened in my life happened as a part of my life journey, it shifts all my relationships to everything that happened to me because being a single parent, some people never recover from that. It's not only that I was a single parent, I was a single parent in the country that I had no family. And my my, my first wife, her family was close, nearby, but they were really distant from, from myself and my kids. It's raising kids by myself, running businesses. I mean, this is, this is enough to, to break somebody and developing their mess after that. But going to your request about the actual, and this is where the shift from the relationship to life, to my own life. So when I was in the kibbutz, I was about less than 11 years old, and, and, and we had a... a as a community, we, there was a there was a petting zoo over there. It, it wasn't petting zoo. It was a little zoo that the kids were responsible to to run it. So we 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 cleaned the uh, we kept the place clean. We fed the animals. We made sure that everything is taken care of. And we would work there every every day. We would rotate somebody working there. And there was one um, older person that was managing the kids that were there to make sure that to teach us and, and to explain to let us know what to do and what is our responsibility with animals. And and, and there were many different types of birds and chickens in, in this place and we would occasionally collect uh, eggs that if their mothers were they just put eggs or and, and they not to service. So we we put them under a hatch length to make sure that they hatch. And in one day when I was working there, and there was one head that started to hatch. And I was watching the the bird that was in it trying to break the the eggshell. And I reached with my hand to help the birds to break the eggshell to make it easier for the birds to get out of the eggshell. And luckily enough, the, the older gentleman that was working there was standing next to me. And when I say luckily enough, because there was many different stations with animals in it, so he not necessarily was next to every child all the time. And he, Somebody reaching my hand and he grabbed my arm, my arm and he said, don't do it. And he said that if I will help this bird to break the eggshell, the bird will not have the strength to live outside of the eggshell. That they basically, they're building their muscles and their strength by breaking the eggshell. Mm. And I just let it go. I did not have the egg. I 
put it somewhere in my memory bank. Fast forwarding 35 years later, when I was suffering and, and in pain of, of the, the, the end of my relationship with my wife and, and losing my mom, and, and it, was, it was difficult, difficult. And I remember that story, and I start to relate to my life is living inside the actual. And I remember praying for somebody to touch me and, and or just touch my shoulder and free me from my pain or and fix all this suffering. And, and, and nobody could do that, but I still want somebody to do that. And however, I accept the pain that I'm suffering and I relate to the pain that I suffer as breaking my eggshell. And I know that one day I will break this eggshell and I will have the power that I need to deal with this life the same way that it happened to this bird 35 years earlier. Wow. And today, yeah. and today things go not the way that I want to or I just look it up and I pretend to be the eggshell around me and it's something... It's something else there for me. Nobody, I, I, I am the one that can break this action. Nobody can. And if somebody will break it for me, it will be, obviously I will not die like this bird, but it will be a shortcut. I will not receive the lesson that I intend to learn from, from that opportunity. Some people will call it problem. Some people call it challenge. I will call it an opportunity. Wow. That's such a beautiful story, Joel. This is so inspiring. And, you know, and this interview is going so great because I know just this conversation, uh, anybody out there uh, is going through uh, any kind of pain and grief and suffering. It's such a beautiful metaphor and analogy that they can apply to their life and really stay strong. And uh, because eventually uh, they will see light at the end of the tunnel and, uh, it's such a remarkable uh, story that you shared today. So thank you for that. Uh, that brings me up to uh, the next question. And uh, and this is a hypothetical situation. So imagine this, Joel, if you had to go back in time and talk to your 20-year-old, what advice would you give him? Besides buying Microsoft when Microsoft went public. <laughs> <laughs> and I would you know what I don't know. I, I it's a tough question to, to answer and, and, and I will explain to you why it's I am so happy to be Joel today that I understand that if one little thing in my life journey would be different, I will not be who and where I am today. So obviously there's a lot of pain that I went through that I wish that I did not went through this pain. However, I understand that I had to go through this pain to be where I am today. So I don't know if I can answer this question. I am 
I'm happy to be drawn today, and and I, I and I think that if any significant change in my life will be different, I will not be who I am today. Hmm. Fair enough. I think uh, that's uh, that's a good answer. So moving on to our next section of the Wisdom of Friends podcast, uh, Joel, this is called the Rapid Fire Round, and uh, I'm going to ask you a handful of questions, and uh, you have just a few seconds to respond to it. Of course, you can elaborate on it if you choose to, but uh, generally, okay. this is the Rapid Fire Round. So the first question sure. if I, for you, Joel, is if you could be successful in another profession, which would you choose? I would like to be a healer in one way or another to, to grow my healing practice and, and to my life coaching. I, I would, this is, this is the profession that I, I want to work with people and support people in their life journey. Hmm. The next question, if you could have witnessed one event in history, what would that be? I don't know. <laughs> if God exists, can she be trusted? Absolutely. If you could ask God one question, what would that be? If my kid, if my kid will be okay. Hmm. Well, that ends our rapid-fire round questions, uh, and I just got a few more questions in the interest of time. Uh, we'll uh, wrap up with a few uh, last questions. So the one question I have for you here is, uh, what's your passion project today, and what are you looking forward to in the next uh, six months to a year from now? So my passion project is my book that I'm writing. Uh, this, this is my, my biggest passion project that I'm working on. But it, it's been going on for a few years, but, and, and it's just and keep growing and, and, and becoming and more and more meaningful. And the recovery homes that, that we're building for people in, in recovery. I would say this is the, the two passion projects that I'm working on and, and, and my, my life coaching. Mm. And the next question I have for you is, what are three things you're grateful for in life today? My life journey. My life journey, I, I am thankful for, for the ability and the tools that I have to feel life and to, and to not react from fear and when I do afraid to understand that I'm afraid and, and to live with faith uh, to be there. I'm thankful for my health. I, I heal myself from MS. I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I, 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 I'm pain-free. And, and, and I'm pain-free physically and I'm pain-free emotionally. I don't sleep with a secret. Obviously, I, I've been living with these secrets for, for 45 years now, I'm writing a book about dyslexia. I, I, I'm, I'm free. Mm. 
Well, Joel, I, this has been a fascinating conversation, uh, as I expected it to be. And uh, I just want to acknowledge you for uh, for being the inspiration and the role model that you are for uh, for your family, for your friends, and, and a fascinating journey of overcoming pain and suffering and grief and 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 the challenges of uh, losing your mom and uh, the dyslexia and and like really setting yourself free uh, from all the secrets and and being being an inspiration for all the other people out there uh, who are probably in similar situations and not knowing how to deal with it and listening to your story will definitely give them some uh, wisdom and insights that's going to be a great benefit for them and we can't wait to uh, uh, look forward to reading your book when it gets uh, published and I'm really excited uh, for what you have to share in your book. Uh, With that, I have uh, one final question for you, Joel. Uh, Why do you think people should listen to wisdom of friends. Um, we are connected with people, with energy, and we can support each other in our life journey. When we're ready, it's people we will open up to each other. And the only way to do it is by communicating. And I'm sure that some people would listen to this interview and will get no value. And some people will listen to this interview and will get a lot of value from that. And either way, it's fine. And the only way for us to support each other through through care and love is by communicating. I I, I just think that this is a very effective way to communicate. Well, thank you so much again, Jewel, for your time and your candid answers and your authenticity and and inspirational story. I truly appreciated our conversation and... uh, With that, uh, for those of you listening, we will wrap up with that. Thank you, Joel. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be on the show, and and I wish you the success and and love that you can bring to the people around you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Cal Aras. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, theglobalcontribution.com. To your friends and colleagues, be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous episodes. This has been a Seven Symphonies production. Join us next time for another edition of the Wisdom of Friends.